About three years ago, I went to see a movie, I think it was on a Saturday, that was a whodunit. It was, some of y'all may have seen it, it was the movie <laughs> Knives Out. And then the next day, my twin boys said, let's go see a movie, let's go see Knives Out. And of course, like every parent that wants more time with their teenagers, I was like, I'm in, I'll gladly see it again. And I was amazed watching it the second time, of course I knew who had done it, how many, much more details you could see and what was taking place in it. And there's so many things that are like that. I wanna suggest that today's gospel is like that. If we will, we've heard it read once, if we go back through it and look at a lot of details, it is a really profound, deep parable, even though it's short and on first reading, it might seem simple as to what's there. It is one of these parables, if we're not careful, we can really quickly run to it and say, the Pharisee's bad, we're like the tax collector and congratulate ourselves and be done with it. But it's a lot deeper than that as we go through it and look at it with more um, focus. That's what I wanna do with today's uh, gospel lesson. And as we look at it, it's an interesting parable because Jesus prefaces this parable first off by telling everybody who he's telling this parable for. Like he says up front, I'm telling this parable for the people who are smug about their self-righteousness and who have contempt for others. He's telling everybody up front that's who it's about. And again, we may say immediately, well, that's not me. I don't even need to listen to this one. But maybe, hold on, let's go deeper and keep thinking about this one. We start looking at this uh, parable. It's set in the temple court. It's in the place where people are coming to pray. And we get that there are these two characters um, that are they're going to be the two that are involved in this thing. We get the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I want to talk about them both, um, and I'm going to put them both up here on the platform today. But we start thinking about for a minute about the Pharisee and asking the question, who is this? What are they, what's he about? And I'm going to go here in a minute, but it's, I want to ask you to set aside a lot of your preconceptions that you may have. The Pharisees were a Jewish sect. They were extremely committed and devoted to living out the law, but they were also extremely committed to the oral uh, portion of the law, like an interpretation of the law that was an oral tradition that went with it. They were huge on that and the authority of that. But if you've been raised in the church like I have, you've heard about them your whole life. You immediately hear the word Pharisee, and maybe you think immediately hypocrite or villain, or, and you know what it is for somebody to be pharisaical, all this kind of stuff, but hold on. These are people that were extremely committed church folk. These are people that were committed to living out the law. These are people, as uh, somebody told me this morning that Mary said in her sermon, these are people you wanted on the vestry. <laughs> they were committed to worship. They were committed to giving. They were committed to, to doing this. And when they get into all these particulars about dealing with the law around their body or how you wash cooking utensils and all the different little minutiae they, they would get into, it has to do with their desire to encounter God in how they live today. And it was in the context of, you know, think about Judaism as a, um, a people who've been called to live holy, separated, at a time when they're being occupied by the Romans, when a lot of the Jews have been spread around the Mediterranean. That's the environment in which they're in. And they're committed to living the law the best they can and having this 
oral interpretation of how we do it. How do we live it out? What do we do with it? And I think that's part of the reason why Jesus has so much engagement with them. Because Jesus is also oftentimes speaking about aspects of the law. And he, he's engaging this oral interpretation. And there are a lot of Pharisees who relate with Jesus because of what he's doing. They connect with him because of that. But also their differences become very highlighted and very distinct with what's taking place and all of that. But it's a mistake and we will miss sort of the punchline of the, this parable if we immediately rush down the road and just label the Pharisee villain over here. If you've just got villain already tattooed on his forehead, take it off for a minute. This is, this is something more than that. These are people that were trying to live holy lives. And to be for sure, Luke and other gospel writers will frequently use Pharisees to be, a, a, they're going to show something that's a villain. But we look at the historical record, we know there's a lot more going on with the Pharisees than just that. And, this, and they're writing much later, interpreting it within the context of Christianity as it's gone on a couple decades, um, oftentimes. So don't label them villain that way. Give them some, a little bit more room than that. I think we would do well, um, actually, if we would look at this parable and maybe try to give a modern version of it, which I've really struggled with, tr trying to come up with other ways to say this with tender ears in the room. I had a few ideas I had to nix. But maybe, maybe the way this parable should start is the Pope and a drug dealer went to St. Peter's Basilica to pray. And not the current pope, but just a generic pope. But the idea is it's somebody, somebody that people expect to be holy, somebody that people expect to be a bit of a religious hero in this thing. That's the, the, the Pharisee. And then we go to the other side and we think about uh, the tax collector. And now, just like then, people don't really like tax collectors. I had a friend of mine whose mom was a tax collector. And she was with the IRS. And her, his marching orders was, when people ask what I do, you tell them I work for the government, nothing else. <laughs> people don't like tax collectors. And the Roman system was set up in a, you know, a, a tough way because um, they were, we don't know exactly how much they extracted out of people, but we know their methodologies were, were cruel and were um, deplorable. We know that the way that the Romans would do it is when they were going to go tax a neighborhood or a market or a, a dock or whatever they were going to tax, they would do bids, asking locals to make bids to be the tax collector. And the tax collectors who engaged in that, who took the bid and put in the bid and got accepted, were seen as people who were betraying their own people. They were helping the occupied uh, authorities. They were betraying their neighbors. They were doing all these different things, and they were considered slimy people. They were considered people that were, not, they were dishonest, untrustworthy, who had sold their conscience to collect this money. And the way it worked was they would collect the money for the, for the government, but then they could, anything else they could collect was theirs. So they were always trying to push the envelope further and further using the authority of the Romans behind them to do it. So they were, think of sleazy, like nobody likes them, you would never want him in your house kind of stuff, which is, gets us quickly to part of the complication of Jesus, right? Because Jesus had a special place for them in his ministry. Not only did he hang out with them, he had invited Matthew to be, uh, or invited one of them to become a tax, one of his followers and apostles, but he hangs out with them and he does all these things with them. And today's message, I think, is one of those things too that goes into a place of being with them.
So you get the context of these two different extreme things. So maybe we have the generic pope, and maybe in modern terms, I'm just trying to think of something, maybe it's a drug dealer, whatever it is. You get the sense of what that is. And then we pick up with the action as to what's taking place. And um, think about this. So when this thing gets going, we get what their prayers are like. And um, the beginning prayer that we get is the Pharisee's prayer. And the Pharisee says this. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying. Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice, twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. I'm on the vestry at St. Michael's. No, he didn't say that part. <laughs> he's, he's all caught up in his self-righteousness. It makes me think of the, actually the one, I, the one I have heard about, the, uh, the vestry that is voting on some new um, proposal for the church and the rector leading the meeting says to everybody, well, let's vote, but we're going to do this today. I just want you all to write it on slips of paper and pass them in to me. And so when he gets down, he gets all these things passed in and um, he says, okay, I've got these. He says, so the vote is as follows. Larry, Ruth, Dan, Sid, and Marcia, they're all for the proposal, but God and I are against it. The self-righteousness about where we stand. And then we come uh, to the opposite, right, in a way, the tax collector. The publican, as you'll read in some of the older Bibles, is how they say it. He starts to pray, and it says, but the other one, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The small faith of the tax collector looking through the large heart of God just puts himself down, looks down, and just puts himself out for God's mercy with a petition and a plea. Those are the two prayers. And they're in a great, they are in a great contrast. But to understand this for a minute, you need to, again, think about the, that it's the Pope and a drug dealer. And so everybody is thinking, well, surely somehow, some way, the Pope is going to be the one that's going to come out in this thing in a, in a, in a good spot. And then Jesus goes on with what happens next. And he says, I tell you this, the man, the tax collector, the drug dealer, went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a complete reversal of what's expected. Nobody expects that that's going to be the outcome of this thing. Um, the tax collector goes back vindicated. He goes back made in a right relationship with God. He goes back in this good place. And the people hearing this at the time Jesus is saying it the first time have lost their breath at this moment. There's no way they expected that turn at the end. And we've heard it so long and we have such negative thoughts about the Pharisee. We all come into it thinking, oh yeah, for sure, it's gonna be the tax collector that gets it right. They're not. They're still like, what did he just say? The tax collector went, went back, made right, justified. How can it be? How much would it take for him to be forgiven? And we start thinking about what is that, that he's the one that's forgiven. The drug dealer is forgiven in all this. And it's interesting to stop and think about this because he comes and he's, he lays out his brokenness. And he, 
And it's fascinating to look at what he says, right? He doesn't say, I'm going to repent. He does, he's not over here saying, I'm going to repent. I, Monday morning, I'm quitting that job. I'm looking for a new one. He doesn't say that. He doesn't have a big thing where he goes into his repentance and how he's going to change. He just says, I'm broken and I'm begging for your mercy. That's all he does. That's all he says. This is a profound story about grace. I'll say more later, but it's right up there with the prodigal son three chapters before. It's, it's this huge thing of grace. that we get, And it's, it is so potent, these words, that he receives at this moment. Now, the, the, the Pharisee is interesting too, right? Because we don't know what all goes on with him completely. Maybe we shouldn't be so critical on him with his prayer. He's doing a prayer of thanksgiving. That's what he's doing. He's not, he makes no petitions. You know, it's interesting to look at that the tax collector makes a petition. He says, I'm broken, and he petitions for mercy. The Pharisee is just giving thanksgiving and saying, glad I'm happy. I'm th- giving thanks. I'm not like these other people. He doesn't really ask for anything, and he, he gets what he asked for, nothing. And the tax collector gets what he asked for. He gets the mercy that he asked for. But the truth is, we don't know a whole lot about the Pharisee. Maybe he goes home later with more prayers justified. But what we get out of this is perhaps the biggest thing he does is he has contempt, presumption and contempt for others. He is one who's going to say, I think I know where God's mercy and grace should be. This simple parable has got a whole lot of stuff in it. And I want to invite you to have some conversations at lunch or to ponder some things this week. And I want to tee up some of these for you to think about. The first of which is it don't simplify this parable. Don't rush to it and make it just about the evil Pharisee. If you do, you miss the parable. It's not that. And perhaps the, the, the biggest issue going on in the parable, perhaps, is that this one person, the Pharisee, has written off the other. And the other one is just simply being broken. He's just being broken before the divine, before God, and asking for mercy and grace. Maybe this parable in itself is its own kind of trap. It's kind of an, it's super interesting. It's one of the more interesting parables that there is, I think. Because if you show up to this parable and you start to think, I got this, like I'm the Pharisee or I'm the tax collector, or you start to identify in a way that begins to make you smug in any direction that you know how this should work, that it's going to be one way or the other. I think it starts to show that we think we know how God should exercise his mercy and grace and to whom. And it challenges us, I think, in its own way in that. There's a whole bunch to just dwell on that with where we identify ourselves in this. And I think there's a whole reflection that I love about this parable that's about grace. Because if you, but again, don't be so quick, do a double take. Because if you paint the tax collector as the hero, and if you paint the Pharisee as the villain, they're getting exactly what they deserve. Which is not what grace is. Grace is not getting what you deserve. It's exactly the opposite of that. You're getting what you don't deserve. You're getting something better than you deserve. And to meditate and think about this greatest part about Christianity, this grace, and that it's just given. And the, the, Pharise- the, sorry, the tax collector, 
I, we talked about this two weeks ago when I preached, but I also wonder as another meditation point, how significant it was that he comes in complete humbleness, brokenness. He's not distracted by anything else. He comes and just is willing to say, I'm broken. Help me. Give me mercy and grace. And if he'd come with any kind of pride, you know, if he had shown up saying, my spiritual life's not so good, but isn't that car pretty slick? You know, or whatever it is, or let's put Jesus in the Porsche or whatever, whatever the stuff is, none of that stuff. He's, he comes broken all the way and he receives. And I wonder again and again in our spiritual lives how important it is for us to be humble and open to receiving and seeing the dignity of every person, of seeing God's love for us at the core levels, how deep that thing goes. Maybe another meditation out of this is for you to think about on this spectrum between the Pharisee and the tax collector. Where are you? The Pharisee over here is all about thanking God he's not like other people and makes no petition. The tax collector over there is, I'm completely broken. I'm falling completely on your mercy and grace. And where are we in here? And what does it say about us? I think this parable, the final thing I want to say about this parable is I think this is one of the most powerful parables, the strongest medicine ever for those moments in life. If you've ever done something bad, wrong, whatever it is, and you feel so worthless and you're so bad, this is one of the parables you would turn to. Because again, that tax collector knows he is the scourge of the earth from all his fellow people. He knows he's probably lied and cheated and done these extortionist things to get the money and he's just fallen down begging for mercy and grace and he gets it and he goes home justified and there is some so much power in that in hearing those words that speak to us in our most broken moments and for those of us who are deep in the church we may feel a loss of power in that because we want to say you need to be in church every Sunday and make sure you tithe it is pledge season and all this other stuff that we need to do to be right But at the end of the day, maybe all we need to do is be broken and come before God and just own it. We're broken and we ask for your mercy and grace, and he's happy to give it to us in that way. The um, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, Anglican bishop, um, talks about this passage when he writes about it in his series that he does. And he says those words where he says that he went home justified, he says this, Those are amongst the most comforting words in the whole gospel. And I think he's right. I hope you'll meditate on many of these dimensions this week. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. And we thank you for the grace that is not about anything we earn. It's not about how often we go to church. It's not about how much we give. It's not about how good we act. It's a gift that we don't deserve and you give. Help us to receive that, celebrate that, and share that in the world. May it be the core of who we are as a people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.